Hi, this is Lewis Hertham. Welcome to the FSF Podcast. The show that makes Alexa and Siri wish they didn't have to listen, but that would slow their sudden and inevitable betrayals. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. Just imagine the comfort you'll give Redshirt crewman number 128. You'll know that when he puts on the Redshirt and joins in hosting an amusement park with biomechanical robots, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope. Because the Redshirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his memory. All right there, kids and cadets. Welcome to the FSF Popcast. Today we have an actor joining us who's had roles on shows like Murder, She Wrote, True Blood, and those led to Westworld on HBO. And now he has another show coming out that's been critically acclaimed, and I personally am very excited to see this come out on Amazon. That's coming out on October 21st, 2022, and that show is called The Peripheral, and you're going to want to check that out if you haven't watched the trailer yet. Like, don't leave this interview, wait till it's done, but then go watch the trailer and then come back. Or or if you do leave this, at least come back. You're going to want to hear the rest of this interview. But we are very excited to have Lewis Hertham today on the FSF Podcast. Welcome to the show, Lewis. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said in the intro there, we're all very excited to have a moment to talk with you about this upcoming show on Amazon. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're excited to be able to have the opportunity to watch the show. Now we're recording this the Friday before the show is released. So uh, the trailer that I've watched has looked amazing. I think uh, Amazon has an extended trailer. It's like, I think almost about two minutes, two, two and a half minutes. And Mm -hmm. it shows quite a bit out there. It's very, it looks to be very well cast and looks very exciting. So if you would, please tell everyone a little bit about your show, your character, and what they can be looking forward to in season one of The Peripheral. Okay, well, it, it's very well cast, and it's very exciting. You're right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, so it's uh, it's based on the William Gibson book of the same name, The Peripheral. William Gibson, as m- many of you know, is a, an extraordinary sci-fi writer, and uh, the book is deep, and so if anybody's read the book and go, "Wow, how are we gonna how how are they gonna make that into a, a TV series?" I will say this: that it is, um, you, you know, it is a, an adaptation, but it's it's strictly along the lines of what happens in the book. But I guess what I'm saying is because some people said, "Man, I, I had a hard time getting through that book." Uh, you won't have as hard, as hard a time getting through the series, but it is extremely. Uh, exciting, as you say, it's big. It's really big. And uh, to talk about the cast, when you said well cast, it's definitely well cast with uh, Chloe Grace Moret and Jack Rayner in the leads, and and uh, Gary Carr from The Deuce, one of my favorite shows, where I became a big fan of his. And uh, of course, it's brought to you by Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joyce. So it's kind of hard to go wrong there, you know. So it's a very it's a futuristic. Uh, like my character is uh, resides in a fictitious town called Clanton, North Carolina, set in the year 2030. So even our present day is a little bit in the future. But then we also visit London in the year 2100 through the gamers, uh, Chloe and her brother, or Jack. They play these kids that you know, do do this kind of thing for corporations, and then they get this one game that's a lot more than they expected. And so it gets very exciting. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like fun. forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, it really does sound like fun. The, uh, 
you know, a lot of I, I find that with a lot of trailers that they they try and amp up the excitement, but you know, mm -hmm. there's the suspenseful music and all that kind of fun stuff. And I felt very much so like that wasn't the thing that was even needed for the trailer because they were they were showing parts of, of excitement and, and 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 trying to build up the story for it so that there was a little bit more than than just, oh, well, here's a show and, you know, golly, tune into Amazon, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, you're right. They uh, trailers usually do put a lot of their biggest and flashiest stuff. But believe me, there is a lot that's that's not in that. I mean, it is it's a ride. You know, it's now I haven't seen all the episodes, but I've seen several of them. And believe me, every at the end of each episode, you it really leaves you wanting more mm. and and it gives you more as, as we go. So um, I think that uh, at the premiere the other night, they did a after the they only showed the pilot episode and then after they showed, you know, what's to come. So it involved uh, showing stuff from scenes that were not in the trailer and that I had not seen from other episodes. And I was like, wow. I mean, as blown away as I was <laughs> already, I went, holy mackerel, you know, this, so it's, um, you know, again, I, I, I have to stress when Lisa and Jonah, you know, put their mind to doing something this big, it, it is, you know, big and fun, exciting. And, uh, It'll mess with your mind a little bit too. That's All awesome. Right. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I only have to wait. Yeah, as one far more as my week. character, yeah, one more week. You asked about my character just real quick. He's uh, he's a. Uh, <laughs> I like to tell people he's just misunderstood, but he's he's not. He, he's uh, he's a. He kind of runs the town, mm -hmm. and uh, he's a bit of a criminal element. Uh, but, you know, he's done some good things for the community. So he's he's accepted, you know, and uh, OK, but it, it is a it's a character unlike any I've played before. And that's always fun. So. All right. Sounds a little morally gray can be fun. Morally gray is a good way. That's a great way to put it. All right. I like it. I like that. I'll use that if you don't mind. Feel free. Have at it. Morally gray. You had a. A character, Andy Broom, in Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. And I came across this story on IMDb, so I don't know how accurate it is. Uh, but it said that in the first episode that you appeared, the script didn't give you a name. And so mm. then the actor right. just saw the name tag that the prop department put on you. And yep. that's basically how you got the name oh. of the character. Yep, that that's actually true. Um what, well, I had done two episodes. I did a, an episode, <clears throat> pardon me, in season five, and then the director, who was Anthony Shaw, who happened to be Angela's uh, mm -hmm. son, brought me back to do another episode in season six, which I where I first met Elliot Gould, and uh, you know it was a wonderful time. And then not the next season, but season eight, uh, Anthony called me back because they were getting a new deputy in Cabot Cove. And so I get to the set and I'm like, thanks, you know, thanks for the gig. It was just like a one day, I think I had one line or two lines. And he goes, look, you know, this might, um, you know, we're looking for a new deputy. And if, you know, if this works out, you might be the guy. And I was like, <laughs> wow, that, that'd be awesome. So I told, and I met Ron, cause I hadn't met Ron. The other two shows I did were not Cabot Cove shows. And this obviously was a Cabot Cove show. And so, you know, he, I mean, instantly, Ron's such a wonderful man, and he knew the importance of having a name. Hmm. 
So the the line in the script, his line was a uh, deputy, keep an eye on him. And I'm like, you got it, boss. And then I walk out. <laughs> but he, he goes, let me see. What's your name? He goes, I'm going to call you by by your name. And props department just happened to grab a, a name tag that said Andy Broom. In fact, I think it's, well, there's, that's my, my, uh, the plaque from my mm-hmm. satellite right there, Deputy Andy Broom. But so he goes, oh, he goes, Andy. So I'm gonna call you Andy. So he goes, Andy, you know, keep an eye on him. I'm like, yes, sir. And so I walk out. So that's how, you know, that's actually how it happened. But, but the rest of the story is that I told my agent, I told him what they said. And I said, they, you know, this might be a recurring role. They might have me back. And, and uh, so she goes, okay, well, I'll look for it in the, in the breakdown. Well, when the next Cabot Cove episode came up, it was in the breakdown that they, they were looking for a deputy Dave Anderson. So she calls me and she goes, well, they're casting for that part. And, you know, I didn't even tell her about the whole Andy thing because it was very non consequential. <laughs> and so I went, well, I guess it didn't work out. And then she called me back like two days later and she goes, they want you to do that role. So the script said, Dave Anderson. And then, so even the credit at the end of the show says Lewis Hertham is Dave Anderson, uh, deputy <laughs> Dave Anderson. But when we got there, I told, I told everybody, I said, you know, he already called me Andy in the last thing. And they go, Oh, that's right. So they had to go and find the name tag. And so I became deputy Andy from that point on, but it would have been deputy Dave Anderson had Ron not said, I'm gonna call you Andy. So that's, that's funny. That, that's how that happened. Yeah. And that story kind of gets me thinking, like, do you guys actually put on some sort of name tag of the character, like, in rehearsals or anything? Well, in rehearsals, by then, you're usually in costume already, you know. Gotcha. So, yeah, but, I, I mean, I don't think anyone does it for the purpose of getting into their character. Because okay. the, the the costume, or the wardrobe, I should say, not so much costume, um, sort of helps that anyway, you know. So no, hello. My name is Anigo Montoya. I, you killed <laughs> I'm my father. To kill to my father prepared to die. Exactly. No, 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 no. Okay. So, so do you? So do you still? Are there some people out there that you only know by their screen name, like in a show that you've worked on, and you're like, I know your screen name, but I don't know your real name. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know that I that I don't know their their real name, but sometimes you, you mess up and call them by their screen name. Mm, uh, fair enough. That, yeah. You just get so used to it. Um, you know, I, I, I did it just the other day. Who was I talking to? One of the cast members on this show, I called them by their, by their cast name and instead of their actual name, I think I did it at the premiere, but you know, you just get to, you, you spend some of them, you spend a lot more time with them as the character than you do outside of the, the job you know right yeah that makes sense to me yeah yeah completely okay so lewis everyone has an origin story everybody that we bring on the show and we talk to them they have an origin story of something about how they got to where they are and 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 Mm -hmm. how they got there something that motivated them to become the person sitting at the virtual table with us today so in this in the story of lewis hertham what is the origin what made you get interested in a career in the field of entertainment I can sum it up in one word. Let's see if you guys know what it means. Bullet. Oh, Steve McQueen. Yeah. 
So I saw that movie. My dad took me to see that movie when I was a kid. And um, at that point, I mean, this was before I'd thought about any kind of career. You know, I was 12, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, just aged myself, but that's okay. Everybody knows how old I am. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. You know, and, and that chase scene, the chase scene, it, it was like Steve McQueen was the coolest guy around, but oh, sure. it was the chase scene. So mm-hmm. I walk out of the theater. It's a moment in time I can see just as clearly as I'm looking at you guys on my computer screen. I know exactly where I was. I walked out of the door. It was one of those old-fashioned uh, theaters built in the 30s in downtown Baton Rouge, Hart Theater. It had had the little area with the, you know, with the posters, with the little booth in the middle, typical old-fashioned. We're walking out, and I said, Dad, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And he goes, you want to be in movies? I said, I want to drive cars like that in movies. So for me, it was I wanted to be a stuntman. That was my goal all okay. through the rest of uh, school, uh, even to the little bit of college that I went to. And I just wanted to get out here and start um, you know, doing stunts. And in the interim, I was uh, selling men's suits in a fine men's clothing store, ended up doing some modeling for them. One thing led to another, ended up doing TV commercials. And I was still, you know, it's like, okay, I'll do all this stuff, kind of get used to the entertainment industry to be on camera and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I still wanted to do stunts. And then my agent at the time, Dee Cawthorn, she put um, a play in my hand. I came to the, to the office one day. She goes, oh, here. She gave me this play. Uh, the Rainmaker by N. Richard Nash. And I said, well, what, what's, what am I going to do with this? She goes, that's a play they're doing at the Little Theater, and you need to read that play and then go audition for the role of Jimmy. It's a smaller role. It's the you know the younger brother. I was 24 at the time. And I went, I don't know about that, D. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And she goes, just read, just read it. So I read mm-hmm. it, and I went, wow, this is awesome. She goes, look, just go, go and read for it. Just see what happens. And I thought to myself, the crazy things that I think I want to do as a stuntman, if I don't have the guts to do this, how am I ever going to have the guts to do that? So I said, <laughs> I'll suck it up. And I went and, of course, was petrified when I got there and saw like 100 people auditioning for all the different parts. And I, I asked one guy, I said, where do they do the auditions? He goes, up there. And I'm like, in front of all these people? He goes, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, and then I think I just went into some like shock mode. <laughs> anyway, I ended up getting the lead. I ended oh, wow. up getting the lead role of Starbucks, and that changed everything. That's when I realized this is what I should be doing. That was my story. That's very cool. And I'm sticking to it. No, I like that story. That's cool. I mean, yeah, I, when people refer to the uh, the chase scene in Bolt, they say, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was a cool chase scene. I'm like, no, that's not a chase scene. That is the chase scene of chase scenes. That is that amazing. Is. Not to mention True. the Mustang. I mean, come on. Giggity, giggity. I'm not jealous at all. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I got, I had to have one. So I got a 68 fastback Mustang. Yeah. That's a beautiful machine. That's just, it is. Yeah. There's an episode. uh, It's one of my favorite TV shows is um, uh, Blue Bloods. Um, And in one of of the episodes, they do a, 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 you know, a McQueen, you know, bullet yep. episode bullet, and, bullet and they, episode. they have that car I, I, you know i'm just whew. yeah that was a nice yeah, that was there's, a nice there's dreams yeah that was a nice yeah. i happen to know the guy uh sean kernan who owned the real bullet and sold it a couple of years ago at a auction uh Ooh. at the uh 3.7 million it brought oh yeah. wow 
not surprised um, at all. Yeah, yeah, everybody been looking for that. That's quite a story, and I will tell you, there's a documentary coming out about that. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so that, and I'm a part of that. Uh, awesome. Too, so, yeah. Yeah, I'd very much we, like to see that. That's cool. Yeah, I'll let you guys know. Yeah, that'd cool. be awesome. Yeah, you're, you probably want to talk to those guys too because it, you know, it's that quite wouldn't a, hurt. It's a, a fascinating story. Wouldn't hurt anyway. my feelings a bit. That'd be great. Okay. Okay. Yeah, see, your your origin story is way cooler than mine because I left the movie theater wanting to be something, but yours seemed more realistic. I wanted to be a Jedi after, you know, I, <laughs> uh, I just couldn't figure out how to use the force yeah. or, or figure yeah. out how to get a lightsaber. The closest I've come yeah. is grocery store doors, you know, just. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's like that little boy in the commercial, right? With exactly. His dad there. Yeah. Yeah, well. I, well, I remember Star Wars very well, too. I mean, that was like, I mean, we all remember that. That's kind of like, you know, one of those things, if you're old enough, you guys aren't. But, um, you know, everybody remembers where they were when they heard about the Kennedy assassination or 9-11. Sure. Well, sure. first time you saw Star Wars, it was like, wow. In fact, I remember seeing the trailer after some movie and everybody, the whole place was like, you know, it was like you had seen... Uh, you you were seeing the future really certainly the future of, of filmmaking it was extraordinary mm-hmm. yeah yeah but you were younger then see i was already yeah i i was born in 76 so i i wasn't uh i was only one Whoa. for the for new hope yeah uh, but wow. i was yeah, you, you know i was six i think when uh when uh empire strikes came back, back yeah you know when, when empire strikes back comes came out that's what i was trying to say mm-hmm. yeah uh, when that came mm-hmm. out i think it was about five or six i that's remember right. going to the theater i don't remember much about Me it too. and then um i remember going and seeing uh return of the jedi and that had a much bigger impact in 84 because i was eight mm-hmm. and ever since then you know and and still to this day empire strikes back isn't just my favorite star wars movie that's my favorite movie of all time uh, and and so yeah, it's had a pretty major impact on me. But but yeah, one day I remember one seeing day, that I too. I well, they're out there now. I understand. You guys advertise them, if I'm not mistaken. There you go. We well, do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I there mean, you go. this is as close as I'm getting. But well, it's not cutting know. anything. But which is for, which for me is probably a good thing. Probably a but, good thing. You'd be cutting down, you know, you would have no shrubs, no bushes, no trees, no anything in your yard. <laughs> or limbs. <laughs> yeah, I'd be Luke Skywalker, you know. There you go. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so you mentioned stunt work in some of your, in mm-hmm. in Tim's previous question. Mm-hmm. And you do have some stunt credits under your name. And what does it take to become a stunt driver? Well, I never became a stunt driver. Uh, what I think that, uh, you know, there are there are schools where you can learn, you know, the, the kind of maneuvers that you need to do to become a precision precision driver. I mm. I kind of was a stunt driver just when I got my license. I, I, I was a very aggressive driver <laughs> and people used to make kind of fun of me because they'd say, oh, yeah, we saw you, you know, sliding around the corner over there the other day in my 1974 Maverick. Uh Wish yeah, buddy. Had that car, you know, but I think that, uh, you know, you have, uh, I, I, I consider myself a good driver and I consider myself someone that 
you know, certainly could have done that, but I would have gone to the, one of these training uh, schools where they, you know, teach you how to do the 180 reverses and the sliding into parking spaces and, and just knowing how to handle yourself um, in, in a chase scene where you're not going to, you know, crash into the entire uh, crew. So, or the equipment, which <laughs> happened in Bullet, by the way, did happen in Bullet. Uh, a camera was taken out by uh, one of the stunt drivers, but um, that's in the, you'll see it in the documentary. Um, but, uh, you know, but as far as my stunts, I, I did, I think the first official stunt I did was in a thing called Louisiane, La Louisiane. It was a French TV show, a TV series that was done in New Orleans in 83. And uh, I doubled Ian Charleston. Ian Charleston was a guy from, uh, what was it called? Chariots of Fire. He was a British actor. He's passed now. And I had to jump off of a riverboat into the Mississippi River, which is probably not the best idea, but I really wanted to do this stunt. <laughs> so I doubled him jumping off the second, I think it was the second tier uh, into the river to save one of the the people. I also did a little role in in that uh, film as well. So that so I've done some bona fide stunts. And then of course, once I started acting, I boxed for many years. So I do almost. I still pretty much do all my fight scenes, my mm -hmm. own fight scenes, because I'm pretty proficient at uh, stunt fighting. And um, you know, at this age now, if I got to hit the ground or something like that. Um, I'm more than happy to let the other guys do it. <laughs> you know, right. Say, man, I don't want to take a job away from a stunt person. Come on in right. here and do that. Yeah. Right. But I will say this in true blood, I had this massive fight scene with Joe Manganella. Uh, Joe's five foot, uh, six foot five, about two thirty five of solid rock. He's big. dude, And uh, he's a big dude. And you see the pictures of he and I, the, the you know, I'm literally looking up at him and, and I have to fight him and throw him around because I was on the I was on B, you know, so I was it was uh, I felt that for I literally felt that uh, for quite a while, several days after I, I felt that fight scene. But it was fun. I'm glad I did it. And, and that is stunt guy like when there's one place where he throws me and that's not me. That's uh, Brian Height, I believe was his name. That's the uh, no, no, I, I'm going to feel this enough. You come in here. take this. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is that the, the, the funny thing is, is that the day before just rehearsing it. I mean, I went I think it was two days before rehearsing. Then the next day I went to one of those people that put all that tape on you, you know, that I heard about mm -hmm. that therapeutic tape and it helped. And so when I did the stunt, I was wearing that therapeutic tape under my wardrobe. Hey, whatever it takes to whatever it uh, takes, man, to uh, not feel it as much. You're going to feel it, but whatever <laughs> yeah. makes it so you don't feel it as much. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And now a word from our sponsor. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo, and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, Vital Signs and Graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300 
he'll get you noticed. Welcome back to the FSF Popcast. So many of us have that special little something that we like to hold close to our hearts. What is a project that you've worked on that is a little less known, that is close to your heart, that you wish got a little more love? There are a couple. Um, I've produced uh, five feature films, five small, uh, low-budget narrative features, and one full-length documentary. The first film I made was called Favorite Son. I did it in my hometown, and it really was a lovely little film. Um, I think that um, distributors, I, I did it in 96, and it was ready to go like in the beginning of 97, and that's right when the independent craze really started, you know, Sling Blade, Brothers McMullen, uh, mm-hmm. and Yuli's Gold, all these films were coming out that had stars in them and, uh, and ours didn't. And had I made this film maybe two years before I would have sold it in every territory. Cause it was a great little independent American film. So it made it very, very hard to sell. And I never really got, got it off the ground. Certainly didn't make its money back, uh, unfortunately. And then, um, in 2004, I made a little dark, little independent film, uh, called Red Ridge that I made with some buddies of mine, Damien Skinner and John Luke Martin. And uh, we, it was based on a real life story that had been in the press in the Dallas area in Texas. And Damien Skinner, who directed it, um, was based on a story about uh, uh, human trafficking and how these young Hispanic women were being kidnapped and forced into this sex slavery. So he wanted to sort of, you know, bring some light to that topic. And so that's what the movie was about. It was very dark. It was really very dark, but we did it for like $140,000. And, okay. uh, and, and it was one of those films where everybody wanted to be there. Nobody got paid anything and, you know, barely enough to eat on. And But we had a good time and we did it uh out of the love of of the project and um i mean we we got some distribution overseas we did win a film festival oh wow okay yeah we won the best director and best film at new york international independent film festival but you know uh so yeah there have been and then the documentary that i produced the girl that made it uh marie devitour she um she did it pretty much on her own but it was about the first post katrina mardi gras And she Mm -hmm. did it as a school project. I helped her put it together, got a lot of the things that she needed to make the film, just thinking it was going to be like a student project. And when she started sending me clips, I'm like, this is really good. And then when she finished the film, she put all this uh, popular music in it, like uh, when the saints go marching in and, you Mm -hmm. know, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? These are things that cost you a fortune. And they so worked with what she did and then she sends it to me, and I'm like, this is fantastic. I, I think I could get you a deal. And I I actually found somebody that wanted to distribute it. And so then I had to find out how much the, the music cost. And sure, it was, the rights. was ridiculous. I so bet. it wouldn't the movie would never have made that much money back. You know, yeah. so it just didn't make any sense. And even change it. I did have someone offer to change it, but you know, again, like there was a, a group in the film of these ladies that would sing in the French Quarter and they would use popular music uh, 
but change the like a like a parody almost and change sure, the sure. lyrics. So you're still going to have to buy. It. And that was a huge part. We kept going back to them. That was a huge part of the show uh, of the film, and it, it just didn't make any sense, unfortunately. But those are some of the projects that were near and dear and didn't right. didn't go where I'd like to see them go. Yeah, understood. Well, you know. It's kind of interesting, though, you mentioned that because, you know, one of the, my next question was talking about the success that we find in our careers. And sometimes that we, we focus on the things that, that have gotten away or the things that didn't quite get to where we want them to be. Uh, but that's not what we want to do with this question. We want to kind of look to the future. Now, we, we mentioned in the beginning uh, next week, uh, next Friday, actually will be the Friday that this episode is released. We're going to release it the same day as your show, The Peripheral. So we're going to rush, we're gonna rush it into, into uh, editing here. But... Outside of a hopefully a long run for the peripheral on Amazon of multiple seasons and it becoming wildly popular from what I've seen, it should be. Mm-hmm. What's a role that's sitting out there that you would always that you've always wanted to have that you'd love to add to your resume? Just something to throw out into the universe, mm-hmm. stick it to see what sticks to the wall. Well, I'd have to say um, came well. I mean, my role in Westworld was near and dear to me without question, Peter Abernathy. And that was a Western, but I would love to do, you know, a pretty full blown Western as a human. Sure. Not a robot necessarily. Uh, Although that'd be okay. As long as he's a, you know, just um, in something like, for example, horizon, which Costner is doing now uh, he's doing, I hear he's doing three or four films in this series, but you know, to do be able to do a film like that would be fa- fabulous. Um, but I also am a big fan of the 60s and 70s films. I mean, I would love to do something sort of in the genre of Bullet because that movie is so dear, near and dear to my heart. I'd love to do, you know, a a movie from that period with those cars, with those clothes. I just love the period. So that would be a pretty cool thing to do, you know, Um would mind playing a you know detective so, sort of a role something like that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be. Um, I think out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the whole point of the question. Just throw it out there, see what happens. Um, you know, I think a period piece would be really cool. And with your love for Bullet, yeah. I think that'd be a lot of fun to do a, a similar style of something yeah. like that. Because not only would you know, not only would hopefully be something that you know clearly you should get paid for but also it'd be it'd be a it'd be a heart project you know it'd be something that you do because it's something in your heart something you want to see succeed so i think that'd be really cool yeah i agree so let's hope it's making its way through the universe cross cross my toes for you (laughs) near and far i actually wrote a sequel to bullet oh yeah Uh, yeah just just because i wanted to and um I wrote it probably back in 06 or so. Don Gordon was still alive. There was uh, the, Robert Vaughn was still alive. M- most everybody was still alive, but Steve and maybe, maybe a couple of some of the other more minor characters in, from the film. And uh, I just, I wrote a, I, I didn't write the script. I wrote a, the story, which was, but very long. I think it was, I don't know, 40 pages or something like that. It was a real big, uh, a long uh, synopsis a long treatment i guess you'd call it was a prose it was like a short story using a okay. lot of the same characters and uh actually a friend of mine got it to warner brothers i i knew that uh they would never get done but um i don't know if anybody ever actually read it but hey, at least yeah. they got sent up the food chain you never know what could happen from well, there spielberg is 
talking about doing a, a bullet, some something to do with bullet I, and the bullet, this movie we're talking about. I don't know if it's like, I don't think it's a remake. I think it might be like a, I don't really know, I'm guessing, but like a continuation okay. as if, you know, from, you know, have an actor playing Frank Bullet back in the day after, you know, kind of taking off, take, going forward from where we left off. Or, or something like that, but I do know that because he's he's uh, that that's out in the ether. Well, it's it's been in the press actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Molly McQueen, his uh, Steve's granddaughter, uh, who who I happen to know as well, is uh, is one of the executive producers on it. So it's very interesting. cool, interesting. So we really enjoy hearing various stories. Um, we have a Facebook group that is just filled with a bunch of memes and it's got over 200,000 members to it. And wow, it's just memes of this and that. And we really enjoy things like from behind the scenes that we don't Mm. usually get to see that actors have experienced. Is there an incident or something that happened on a set that still makes you laugh to this day? Are you kidding me? I've done over like 170 films or two. Yeah, there are tons of them. But I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one that because as soon as you said that, and the reason I laughed is because it always makes me laugh, <laughs> is how I got my SAG card. Okay. okay. So I uh, I moved out here in January, here meaning Los Angeles, in January of, of uh, 1982. And uh, I you know, came from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, I had lived there my whole life, uh, came out to Los Angeles, knew two people, my roommate and somebody that lived 50 miles away. And, uh, so, you know, it was kind of rough. It was a big culture shock. I think the Baton Rouge was about a quarter million people and here was 8 million or whatever. So, but um, got kind of homesick after about two or three months or whatever it was and just wanted to go home for a short visit. When I got there, I uh, found out they were doing a movie called The Toy with Richard Pryor and Jackie oh, Gleason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I literally was getting on, I literally was on the airplane coming back. And one of my best friends, Nick Abed was working at the airport at one of the rental places. And the agent that I mentioned earlier, Dee Cothern, called him because she found out I was on the way back. She knew I was going back because she had tried to get me a role in the film and was unsuccessful and or an audition. There just wasn't anything for me to audition for. So I was going back. Nick comes onto the plane. He goes, Dee says she can get you a gig on the film, you know, on the crew. Uh-huh. I'm like... I'm out of here. Sorry. You know, you can have my seat. You know, it was a different story back then. It was like the planes (laughs) weren't full. You know, it was like, so anyway, I got off and then I met with, uh, his name was Jerry Barowitz. He was the production manager and she got me a breakfast meeting with him, the sweetest man. And he goes, Lewis, you know, we, we talked for a while. I told him what I wanted to do. And he goes, well, obviously there's no acting roles. I said, yes, sir. I realize that, but I, I would just love to work on the, the film and whatever you have. He goes, I'll be honest with you, Lewis. The only thing I got left that I haven't cast is Jackie's stand in. And I went, well, I'm game if you are. And he's like, well, um, stand up. <laughs> and so I stood up and he stood up and he goes, well, you're about the same height. And I mean, I'm 25 year old, <laughs> pretty slim and trim guy. And he goes, all right, what the heck? 
So I was Jackie Gleason stand in for that film. And when there's a film, that film could never get made today because the, Oh, not even close, not even close. (laughs) So the scene where Eric, the, the young master Bates is is, is called because it was Jackie Gleason's name was Mr. Bates. And, Mm -hmm. um, he delivers, you know, he sees Richard in a window in a, a store and he tells his dad, that's what I want. So that's, I, I have trouble even talking about it. But anyway, he's <laughs> comes to the house in a crate and he's eating dinner and somebody announces that the crate's there. So Eric gets up and he runs uh, to in there and starts opening the box. And then Gleason comes in and goes, what's going on here? So anyway, Richard was in the box, supposedly. And the day we shot that, Richard was not on the set. So Richard Donner, who directed the film, said, Lewis, will you read Jackie's, uh, read Richard's lines from inside the box? And he said, would you, you know, go ahead and run the lines with Jackie? So I'm over there running lines. I'm sitting there running lines with Jackie Gleason, okay? And like that, if that wasn't good enough, and then so I get in the box, we get ready to shoot it, and Donner comes over and he leans down in the box. He goes, Lewis, be sure you give enough time between you, the lines so that we can dub Richard's voice in. And so I said, yeah, no no problem. Now, I was a huge Richard Pryor fan. I listened to all his records. I used to do impersonations of Richard. <laughs> so I'm like, how am I going to know? The only way I know to give it enough time is to do it the way I think Richard would do it. Oh my. And and the very first line, the very first line, because what happens is Eric's opening the the uh the box and the Fraulein comes in and says, Eric, you will not open this box if you don't come finish your dinner. You can't open it till tomorrow. And Richard's first line is H-E-L-P, all caps, three exclamation marks. So I'm like, he's screaming. So when he goes, she goes, You can't open this till tomorrow. I don't want to blow your ears out, but I went, help! <laughs> and, and then it's like, they're, they're like, what's going on here? I'm like, are you crazy? You know, and I did this whole prior impersonation through the whole thing, the whole first take. And then after that take, it's like the, the, the crew applauded and, you know, uh, the other thing That's too awesome. that I that I cr- take take credit for real quick because I know y'all got to run. But when I screamed help like that, hell, uh, Gleason went oof, and that wasn't in the script. But when he went oof, he used it throughout the whole movie. He kept yeah. using that oof, so I take a little credit for that. <laughs> That's fantastic. yeah, that was quite an, quite an That's experience. Awesome. Love it. So anyway, Donner gave me my, my, he goes, you did a great job on your film debut. I said, great. Do I get a side card? And he goes, yeah, give him the side card. So they, I think my credit was man in box. Perfect. So, yeah. Love it. That's awesome. Well, Lewis, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your work? I mean, if you mean social media, I'm at Lewis underscore Hertham at uh, Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook, I'm just Lewis Hertham. Um, I, and, and I'm at Lewis underscore Hertham because somebody has my name at Lewis Hertham on both Twitter and Instagram, and they won't give it back to me. They've had it for years doing nothing with it, and they won't give it back. So, you know, but I mean, look, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not great at social media. And, I, you know, so but that's where I post things, you know, that I'm doing. 
understood. Probably the best okay. place to do it. We'll make sure with that we get some of those links put into our show description so that our listeners can check them out. Cool. All right. We also want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help our show to continue to grow and get these amazing guests like Lewis here today to have these these really fun conversations with and have funny moments for you guys to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps out more than we can really tell you. And be sure to check out Lewis's work as well. You're going to want to watch The Peripheral. Watch it today. You won't be disappointed. I have a very strong feeling about that. And if you aren't happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. Steve McQueen and his 1968 Mustang. No one escapes the king of chasings. And you can be sure that Bullet will bring the offending parties to justice. So although we can run... We cannot hide from that super sweet looking Mustang of justice. So turn in at least three copies of your complaint. Just in case a couple, you know, fly out the window as he's doing his driving. You know, Bullet was good at car chases. We can't be sure about the paperwork. So if you want the offending parties dealt with, you won't have to race through the streets of San Francisco. Bullet will do it for you. Well, thanks again, Lewis. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Lewis. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us for the FSF podcast. Goodbye. Ciao. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF podcast or go to www.fsfpodcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode.